waits for a miracle The heart longs for a little bit of hope Oh, come Oh, come
behold your king Behold Messiah Emmanuel Emmanuel scripture today is from Hebrews 11, 1, and it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And we'll uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning again thanking you. Father, for the pattern and the recognitions that we can see in the Seventh-day Sabbath each week and remembering from your own word what this day represents. And I pray that as um, we spend the next few moments, Father, discussing faith, that your spirit, that your breath will be here teaching us, Father, what you would want us to know. And we ask these things. In the name of Christ, amen. Um, in preparing for this, I hesitate to call it a sermon because I hope that it's more of a conversation. In preparing for this effort today, it's been in my mind for several months, um, well, for longer than that, but knowing that it's going to, the opportunity will come to speak, rolls around, um, trying to be more focused and develop some articulated thoughts, and I feel like more of having stumbled into a briar patch as a result. And so hence the idea that maybe we can have a few moments of, of conversation back and forth with the idea that we can, uh, can prick some thoughts in our own heart and our own mind. But uh, at work this week, and probably like many of you, some moments revealed themselves that weren't what we expected. Um, I had written a piece in my journal discussing just some, some thoughts that I had of events taking place. And, and one of the ideas is uh, the thoughts that come along when all of a sudden heartburn shows up in this particular instance. 
never having really had an issue of heartburn. And suddenly, it wakes me up or prevents me from going to sleep. Not just one or two nights like I ate a little too late, but almost clockwork. And, you know, begins to not just be uncomfortable, but hurt. Now, being in the the medical field, doing what I do, when a problem shows up suddenly or an issue shows up suddenly, there's usually a reason. And in my particular profession and what I do, those reasons require somebody else to respond. And then you come to me and I put you to sleep and the surgeon goes in and cuts out whatever boo-boo you got going on. But in this instance, in my head, gastric cancer was what my problem is. Now, don't bother Googling gastric cancer. I'll tell you right now, you got a five-year prognosis, so you better get busy living. Don't waste your time Googling. Get busy living. These are the thoughts that come through my head and as I'm writing this down, and I think, I'm not surprised one day that I will die. I see people die all the time. I'm just surprised I'll die that quick. That is what caught me off guard in my head as I'm thinking. You know, and so challenges and stress and trials, catastrophe, they have a way of bringing some clarity to our thoughts. You know, and and, and some of the things that enter my mind more frequently Certainly as um, our life is changing because our children, our, our daughters are moving on to their end of the independence and it is not at all difficult to recognize life is changing because of what life is unfolding in front of them. And you begin to wonder as a parent, have I prepared them? I know we've spoken before about when Mackenzie was born, Hoseas, I was, I know y'all are wondering why I'm holding this airplane. This is an airplane that Brayton worked at very hard to, to make work. Does anybody have any doubt that this will fly? Why not? Why don't you have any doubt that it will fly? Would you even say, because <laughs> Brayton did it, would you even say that you have faith it will fly? It does, um, but let's let's consider <laughs> let's consider a, an advanced step of faith. Um, with this little demonstration, and it's my wife getting ready to fly a little stunt plane. Who wants to do that? Are you sure? Now, on this day, this was us celebrating our most recent anniversary this past May. Three, 3,000 feet was in the air. She was, she was up there. It hurt if we fell. But we get to hang out. The pilot's telling us what's going to happen. Oh, this is the cool part. It's just like that stunt plane. The exact same thing. <laughs> Except you're attached to it. 
She looks like she's having an awesome time, isn't it? She spends about, she had a longer flight than I did, I'll tell you. Up there cruising. One of the, one of the cool things about hang gliding is that um, you can maneuver that. You can stay up there as long as you want almost. As long as you understand how to navigate. Because that's just over in Chattanooga, Rising Fawn, if you guys want to go. And uh, we got pulled off the ground because we don't know what we're doing. But right where we checked in, they have what they call the um, ramp. Now, my version of a ramp is something that goes up. Their version of a ramp is like standing on the edge of a cliff because you're standing on the edge of a cliff and you get to run off of it. Yeah, you might tickle a little bit doing that. But you can ride the drafts that come up along the ridges as long as you know how to navigate it. That pilot took... Michelle had a lot more fun with it than, than I did. I enjoyed it, but like she was thrilled. He would tuck and put them in a dive and then push his arms out and catch, catch the updrafts again, and they would, they would come back up and ride the thermals back up to a height. So they had an awesome time, and it was interesting to sit there and watch from the ground talking to the next victim who was going to go up. <laughs> and, uh, but it's such an amazing experience. <laughs> Hebrews 11 gives us a description of what faith is. It's the substance of the things we hope for and the evidence of things we do not see. Could you see the wind? But we could feel it, and the Holy Spirit is described in a similar way. We don't know where the wind comes from, but we can feel its presence. Can't see the Holy Spirit, but we can feel his presence. Because he has influence, and he has ability to enter into our lives. But we, you know, we have to depend, believe, have faith that he's present. At, at work this week, I asked this question to some of my colleagues. Um, what would you say faith is? And I'm telling you, it was crickets you know it was a it was a it was a briar patch of a conversation because it's difficult to describe it you know we've got the church pew answer right I believe in the Lord I believe in Jesus Christ his death on the cross his sacrifice my need for redemption and my need for forgiveness we can verbalize and and articulate that is it because this is where we were taught to say those things, because despite Chuck's better knowledge, he is a cheesehead, and he loves the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, exactly, Michael. (laughs) Bless his heart. His mama did not teach him better. Right is is our is our church answer about faith? Is it this in the same category as who we choose to be fans? Of, co- of course not. My my question for and we can recognize that. My question for us is our investigation, our consideration of faith. Is it because this is how we've been taught, or is it because it's something that we've known? Now. Brayton has yet to hit a hang glider, but he is tore up about getting to fly. He has, uh, 
is involved in civil air patrol, and they have the opportunity to do some flights. So, uh, you know, he's flown in an airplane, but not really been able to experience navigating flight like you can in a hang glider or in a smaller plane. And I'm telling you what, my son is so excited about doing that. You and the love of your life. My little blossoming daughter and her fiancé. Your life is about to jump off that ramp and navigate in a way that's going to demand an application of these answers, this information, this education, this intellect that has been developed within, within the concept of church, within the concept of your families, within the concept of your faith. Now you get to fly by that. I stopped my story about Mackenzie being born earlier. So when, when she was born, I've shared with, this you bef- with you before, up until the moment that she was delivered, I had been ambivalent about the experience because it's different for a father than it is for the mother. And the primary reason is I've got none of this going on. Everything is just an imagination to me about what that must be like. Yet my wife is experiencing this transformation that is taking place. But Ralph, the moment that she was delivered, I'm like, ambivalence just evaporated. Put her back. (laughs) Safest place she could have been. She needs to return to that safe place. Because now, in my own imagination, we lived in the country, but, you know, up in the... Up in Jellicoe, we had this nice, snug country home up on this cute hill on this quiet country road. And in the blink of an eye, Andrew, it turned into a death trap (laughs) surrounded by crazy people. And I knew that if she managed to make it past those beautiful, solid wood doors who were now going to cut her fingers off if she gets her hands caught, If she manages to make it through that, she's definitely going to fall down the basement steps. And only in God's mercy will she make it outside into the age where she can ride a tricycle, where she will then again be threatened by that 187 feet down to the road that she's going to tumble. The same place where I broke my back, because I know the danger's there. And in God's mercy, should she ever make it to being 16, No doubt she'll get taken out by a drunk driver on this dangerous, two-lane, unmarked, barely paved road. In an instant, Ralph, before she'd ever had the umbilical cord severed, that's where my mind had gone. And then life compounded it 18 months later, and I had twins. I, loosely speaking, had twins. Michelle delivered our twin girls. And I remember talking with my dad Because now I recognize I've got a problem that's only grown exponentially. What in the world do I do? How do I handle this pressure and more significantly this fear? And I asked my dad, what did you do? It never occurred to me you might be fearful about myself, my brother, and my sister as we grew up, about life unfolding in front of us. You never behaved in a way that I saw that. But if you and I are anything alike, I recognize now that you had it as well. 
Help me understand it. This morning over in our Sabbath school class discussing the disciples and Christ in the boat in the middle of the storm where, where Christ is asleep. And the disciples are fearful, not because the boat got a little rocky in the water. Scripture says the seas were overwhelming the boat. And yet he's asleep. But he wakes up at their demands that he do something. And his reply is what? Oh, you of little faith. Now, as we were talking, my, my impression has always been that's been a bit of a criticism coming from him. And of course, in, in, from my mind, it would be criticism because that is the skill that I possess is to be critical. It's never good enough. You could do better. You should have gotten up sooner. What, you didn't feed the animals? What do you mean the dishes aren't done? What in the world? I'm not going to go to work all day and come home and do your job too. <laughs> that's me. Conversation with uh, one of my girls, what do you wish I had done differently? Guess what the reply was. Just guess. And you can verbalize. I mean, I've already been broke down enough. You ain't going to hurt my feelings. (laughs) It wasn't out of boy. (laughs) We wish you'd been more patient. Now, what if... Christ's reply is a patient, oh, you of little faith. Can you learn? Can you believe? Can you trust me? You've, you've, a little poetic license, but you've seen what's been going on, fellas. Believe me, I'm not going to let you go. (laughs) In the middle of what feels, not just feels, but in the middle of what is legitimately overwhelming. Um, in that conversation, you know, uh, Jasmine and Janae were talking about Pastor Teller. Is that correct? Doing a sermon on that particular chapter in Desire of Ages. When I worked on boats up in Alaska, now I'm from, as you all got, as you know, I'm from Tennessee. This ground has never moved in any way that resembles ocean water. <laughs> and we had... Um, our, our, the boat that I was on was a small boat relative to other ones available. And we, uh, while we were out fishing, had what is known as a green water wave, which is not the foamy water. This is like all the hydraulic pressure that water can provide wraps over the top of our boat. Our boat is not that big in the first place. Did I mention that? It wasn't hard for the boat to be overwhelmed with the water if we didn't navigate the waves correctly. This wave comes over the bow of the boat and, and, and flattens all of us who are working on the deck. And as we have just put gear overboard, there is loose line now on the deck that the situation has gotten, as they say, out of hand. Because at the end of that line is a 750-pound fishing pot, pulling about 600 to 800, depending on how deep we were. It didn't matter. It was more than six feet. I was going to drown. This multiples hundreds of feet over the side of the rail now is out of control. And guess who's laying in 
all of that line. I was Superman for about two seconds. Man, I was up and out of that because my thought was, I don't want to die. <laughs> These disciples have done something similar where they've, they're overwhelmed by this. Can they have this faith? Oh, you have little faith. Christ is not minimizing, like, oh, seriously, are you kidding? That's water puddles out there. He's not minimizing that. We have got tragedy and catastrophe that comes into our life that, that whether or not we personally have experienced those moments, we can understand that they are very real. And that if you could die and avoid it, you might well choose it. Because the agony, the frustration, the pain, the hurt never seems to stop. In those moments, what are we to do? You know, at this time of the year, we're celebrating um, Christ's birth with the, the tradition of Christmas. And as we've gone through um, our family this week, we've actually tried to understand Hanukkah better. And so, you know, that's eight days, and it's uh, uh, the Festival of Lights. And in the Jewish tradition, as we understand it, each night there are small gifts given to each family member. And, of course, we, we try to talk a little bit about that, but guess what Jessie's question is? You know, she's the, the wee one. Guess what her question is? Can't we open presents yet? Right? I mean, there's this celebration and an enjoyment of the things that we come along that we really can find some, so, some happiness in. But, you know, those presents, they're not going to solve some problems that she's going to have to face, right? In a few years, anything that she's received this week, they're not going to spread over her heart like relief and understanding. But faith in a creator who's got her in the palm of his hand will carry her through overwhelming water or uncontrolled altitude gain or loss in her life. If we could go to Christ in the garden, um, that's uh, what I was looking um, at was Matthew. This is Matthew 26. And we want, I would like to use just Christ's prayer as a framework to hang some thoughts on. By no means can this conversation or this interaction satisfy all of the questions that will be present. But I hope it will be something that will give us food for thought. In um, chapter 26, Christ has just eaten supper with his disciples. 
And then in verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And then he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And in those moments, I can imagine that, that, that some of us, maybe most of us, have had moments that have been that, that kind of pain, especially as life unfolds. Most of you know Michelle and I lost a baby girl <clears throat> back in 2007. And one of the things that Michelle would say frequently before this, I mean, th- throughout our, our marriage at this point, was, I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I could handle losing a child. I got, I got nothing to reply to that with. Oh, you got it, honey. Uh, that's not the same thing as going, you know, I need to do 200 push-ups. I don't know how I'm going to do it. It is not the same thing. Right? I mean, it makes sense. But this is one of, the, one of the beautiful things about God's Word is its ability to be used every single day. It's not reserved just for Sabbath. It's not reserved just for the pew. What, what, what is our experience in this life? What is it about? You know, we can give the church answers to be a good person, to live well, to serve others, to be kind. We can give those answers, and those are not completely wrong. But our experience in this life is a participation in the great controversy. The story that began in the Garden of Eden. Satan entered into their realm and then tempted and destroyed and caused the fall of humankind. And the fall from what, had, what is God's sovereign law, right? The creative authority of God the Father to establish not only our existence, but truth. The experience of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden brought about now the necessity for the obligation of truth. It cannot be ignored. And in God's forbearance and in his plan, he laid out a solution that did not violate his law, did not violate the economy of this truth, of this creation. If a perfect man can die and sacrifice himself, because God said... There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Now, those of us as parents, how many times have we said things to our kid and they say, but why? But why? Why? Why, Daddy? Why? I did not ask for you to ask me why. What is necessary is for you to obey. I don't know how to describe why God said forgiveness of sin will only come by the shedding of blood. What I can depend on is 
the personal experience of knowing there are problems that are much bigger than I can possibly solve, pain that I have felt that I cannot resolve, hope that I have that no one else can meet, redemption that is necessary that no one else can give. And do you know why? Do you know why you can answer this why? Is because all of the other possibilities are in my same shoes. As much as I appreciate the encouragement from Al, he cannot solve these deeper questions. We all have relationships that we get to navigate life together in that boat, under that hang glider. But our final solutions can only come from our Creator. And with this, God supplied the answer to his own problem with this issue of sin. What are you going to do with it? Because, again, the claim, I mean, humanity fell, but Satan is the one with the claim, right? This claim against the Creator. And this is where we participate in that, is because we exist, we are involved, And when tragedy comes our way, when catastrophe comes our way, when problems come our way, when things are overwhelming, where do we turn? Now, we do have, by God's design, the family unit that establishes and gives gives parents the obligation, the responsibility, and the ability to teach. It gives institutions like the church to do the same. It gives us the ability, the understanding, and the wisdom through God's word to be able to hold friends accountable, to be held accountable. To be able to fast and pray for situations that we do not know in what else to do. To claim God's covenant promise that He will hold us up. We learn to navigate. Christ is in the garden, and He is under this act, sorrowful and deeply distressed. Have your heart pulled out of your body and it couldn't be more difficult. It's not that God is not intimately aware. So, uh, I, I could go on. God is intimately aware of the hurt in each one of us. He cannot compromise his plan for our short-term relief. He has greater plans and possibilities, not in spite of us, but for us, if we follow faithfully. Issues and questions that we can't imagine being in eternity without, and you've put that family member in there. But God can resolve that disparity. We are being asked by our Savior to show the faith that he can do that and that he will do that just like sometimes with their own kids. And as you know, it is not an easy row, easy hoe to row. Church is not a convenience to be lived by. Christ himself, in verse 39, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And on that prayer is where I want to spend just the next, couple, next few minutes. One is that in his prayer, he's demonstrating and showing something for us. Because in this instance, as is an example of his earthly life, he's a human being. Depending on his father. And in his prayer, he demonstrates that. That he is dependent upon God. This cup, if you'll let this cup pass from me. He's actually making a request. On sometimes, you know, in my own thinking, and maybe you guys, maybe this maybe is familiar to you or, or, or something similar, is it's almost like it's a line in a play. Like it's just casually said. Because you know what? I've never known the difference. This cup, the meaning of it has transformed in my life as experiences have occurred, just like many of you. When we lost Savannah, we got, <clears throat> got home. I remember Michelle going, I just wish... I could die. And I knew, because I'm in that same cup, I knew what she meant because I also wanted it to be over. And it's not like, man, I really had a hard workout. I about died. These are experiences that you drain the dregs of your emotion and there is still no satisfaction. Does that make sense? I mean, does that resonate? And this cup that Christ is asking, you and I, we individually carry, as human beings, we carry our own sin. It's impossible for me to carry Tammy's sin. I can look at Tammy and we can share and we can know that both of us are sinful by description of what God's Word says. But I can carry no burden of Tammy's sin. My own, like many of you, is enough to crush me. Not enough like, oh, you know what? I put it in the bag and I zipped it up. It all fit. Mm -mm. That's, you know, mine would exceed that illustration just like yours. But Christ, this cup, what's he doing? But carrying the sinfulness of all humanity. And he's wanting that cup to bypass him. These trials. But then he says, not my will, but your will. And your will, talking about God the Father's will was his plan, his plan for redemption. Not my will to escape this, but your will be done. Your will be carried out. And his will was already known that it was going to require a sacrifice by his own son, who was the only one who could maintain the integrity of God's law and meet the demands it required. And contain the blood that's necessary in that economy to meet it for our redemption and sanctification. Our faith is our opportunity to participate 
in that plan in the fashion in which humanity is allowed to participate. We are not the redeeming saviors because that's Christ. That's his only role. We are impossible. It's impossible for us to do that for ourselves, much less for anyone else. However, we are, as Paul describes, ambassadors for this message. So when tragedy strikes, maybe we are ambassadors to our own hearts to be reminded and to remember the promises that God has made. Some days it is flying the little paper airplane. It's easy enough to do. Some days, maybe it's even trusting a pilot and getting in a harness and going up 3,000 feet. Learning a new skill, branching off into marriage in your own life. Some day is going to come that overwhelming boat ride where there is nothing that you can actually put your fingers in except acknowledge that you are fearful and you're going to die. And not like, oh, yeah, I'm going to die. I mean, like, I don't know how I'm making it out of this. Like, you taste death. You just know you're tasting it. We'll have all of those experiences. And in that, that is where we participate in our faith. That is where we find out the substance of what we hope for. And that is where we find and experience the evidence of what we do not see. And I think now you can kind of understand a little bit how I felt like I fell into a briar patch. I ain't a way of backing out of this in any way that's comfortable because it just keeps going. Because there can always be these difficulties. There's difficulties in trying to comprehend it and understand it. Difficulties in trying to explain it. But it's like love. When you experience it, you know it. You can't weigh love. You can't weigh pain. You can experience it relative to other things. Mackenzie, when she was younger, I'm so glad they're here. She said one time, she said, Daddy, you got to know the bad in order to appreciate the good. And I was like, oh, no, you don't. I get what you're saying. And it's not like it's inaccurate, but I'll disagree that it's the have to. I did not need to lose a daughter. To understand and to know that I love my daughters. Now, I will admit, there is a contrast that is much more plain, having experienced that loss. But what was even more humbling is to know that my creator might well use my own child for my own benefit. That one sucked the wind right out of me. That he would do that for me. That he would inflict, let me back up, he didn't inflict. That the pain that occurred because of that would be for my own benefit. That's not how daddies are supposed to live, Chuck. We're supposed to be cleaning shotguns and threatening boys. (laughs) Not really. Because then a son, my own son, showed up into my life. And I'm second thinking, second guessing how I should be treating young men that come into our orbit. Because I don't, 
I don't want a father intimidating my boy for no better reason than he likes their daughter. And that shook my world up too a little bit. You know, part of it's a joke because sometimes you just don't know what to do with that possibility that's, you know, it's like that's, that's four or five years down the road. And some of us are lucky that we don't have to deal with too many knuckleheads. But the reality, right, again, I mean, that, maybe this one's more of flying the paper airplane kind of moment, but a place where I get to examine my own life, my own faith, how am I going to participate in this controversy? Because every single one of us can recognize the opportunity, the privilege, the relationship that's in marriage has its own challenges. And if God can destroy the family like he did in the Garden of Eden? Who are we to think we're going to escape the same risk? And yet we have an opportunity to influence and leave a legacy if we do so living by faith. Now, I know you guys are wondering what's in here. And despite my earlier illustration, it's not a bag of sin. I do want to show you because this is my my my, closing example of of why this is an ongoing conversation. Because our faith is not something that we do on Sabbath, right? I mean, we illustrated, described Christ himself in the garden, begging God to let this pass, but confessing and submitting himself to his Father's design and will. We all have had challenges and experiences in our own life where your circumstances are overwhelming. Tragedy shows up one day because your OR director is in a car crash who was expecting to go to breakfast that morning, not the end of his, end of his life show up. And then you walk into your place of work, and you guys probably, maybe you've had similar experiences. How does a person of faith, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not the only one. There's others that are there, but this is my place, my role the place I've been given to function. What am I to do when I walk into that place and people are broken because of what transpired? And do you know if you go prepared? And prepared in the sense of, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to ignore conversations was how I was thinking preparation. I didn't, I didn't go in there, well, here's what the Bible says. You can, you, can ref, you, you can refer and encourage people towards God's word, but first reach where they're hurting. Address the questions, the issues, the conflict that come up in their own mind. And as a few people were able to share just with a little, how are you doing? You know, a little moment, a little question to try to be available. So our faith, my proposition for today is that our faith is a bit more like this. Now, y'all may notice a few things about it. One is, <laughs> conveniently enough, this is about the age of my marriage. It's about 25 years old. Something else you may notice, if you were to wear it, it wouldn't really fit you. Something else you may notice is it's got some stuff, some tools in it, right? Now I'm going to ask you this question. 
to your eye, do I look like I am uncomfortable in it? You'd be correct. My question for you and for me is does this look like our faith? Is it is it Brayton in a brand new shirt that's a little long in the cuff and a clip-on tie? Or is your faith more of something that's useful in the sense that you know, you know where to find your instruments. You know where to find your knowledge. And you know how to deploy it. That's my question. So we'll have our closing song. Um, I believe it's 531. Five, um, 531, yes. The exert, um, we'll build on the rock.